So this is the beginning of our um, our four-week class on uh, Palestine and just sort of a Bible class on um, just uh, the history and geography, economics, politics, and social groups. So uh, this first week is history and geography, and um, the assignment has been to come up with a good map, a working map of Palestine and a working map of uh, the Roman Empire so that we can sort of work off of that. And so we had a Q&A time and one of the, the comments was in one of the readings that we had submitted on our Denton Facebook page um, had said that Galilee was sort of like the Berkeley of its day, that it was, you know, tend to be very liberal, non-traditional, uh, a lot of reformers and, uh, you know, uh, zealots, if you will, or people who were revolting against the, the tradition. And another question um, was, uh, or comment was that uh, it was interesting that a lot of people used Samaria as a route through, you know, Galileans coming to Judea. Uh, they would go through Samar uh, the Samaritan area, the Samaria. Um, but every now and again, you know, like in the case of Luke, I don't remember if it's 14, 17, where, but Jesus sends ahead that he's heading to um, Samaria, uh, Samaria and uh, the Samaritans say, nope, you're not coming through here. And so Jesus has to pretty much go around to Decapolis and Perea. Um, to basically get through uh, to Judea. And so it was a normal route that most people would go through, uh, even though the Samaritans and the Galileans uh, certainly didn't get along, nor did the Samaritans and the Judeans. But, uh, you know, there was a sort of an alternate route for people who weren't allowed um, to come, which wouldn't have been an ordinary person. Most people, I think, would have been allowed to go through uh, that area. So. So, any other questions before we get yeah, going? Yes, yeah, go for it. Um, Speak loudly so that maybe the recording can pick you up. We'll see what happens. So, on on the on the road article, so like on page three, yeah, it said that uh, travels convert to travel guides and maps. Is that like before or after Jesus, or was like that during Jesus? I think it's just uh, before and during. I think they, you know, we tend to think, I guess, maybe that, uh, you know, um, they don't have access to <laughs> print media or something. But, I mean, you know, there, it, there was a pretty thriving business in many of these cities. And, and the business wasn't the market like many of us are used to. It was much more of like, and we'll talk about this next week, a kind of reciprocity-based kinship, where, which is still very common today in many countries. Where you're basically trading uh, or gift giving, um, but there were still cities that had artisans and they had uh, people who were more or less doing some things like that, touristy type stuff, writing maps for people, giving routes. Um, because I mean, they, they were walking long distances, and it's not like they had compasses. Not that they, I mean, you know, they did have compasses, uh, natural compasses, but uh, maps would still be pretty helpful, particularly because. One of the things that's important to, to realize, too, in this day and age was somewhat like our own society now, people moved quite a bit. Yeah. And maybe less moved than there were constantly an influx of people coming into the area uh, and, and resettling the area. I mean, this, this land for the last five or six hundred years had been a hotbed of um, you know, one empire after another coming and taking it over. There was a short time period, about 100 years, where the Hasmonean dynasty uh, by the Maccabees had given you know, the Jewish land autonomy. I mean, it was their own land after probably in a thousand years. It had only been their own land, you know, twice. Um, but still, 
there was a lot of people coming in, particularly of, of um, Roman or Hellenist influence into some of these cities because some would conquer them and then they'd try to repopulate them uh, with people who were from their own you know, political ideology. So they would bring in wealthy landowners and basically just give them land. It was a lot like what happened in the U.S., right? You know, we get, you know, Protestants come over and they just take land and just start handing it out to people. Well, the same thing would happen, but rather than happening every, you know, 200 years or something like in our own history or 250 years, it would happen sometimes 60, 50, 30-year periods. These rules would change. And particularly in Jesus' time, I mean, every 20 or 30 years, something new was happening in the area uh, which created just a lot of, uh, of different types of city, different people, different kinds of um, uh, industry. And so, yeah, so there, there were a lot of new people coming in, and so maps were kind of a big, I think, a big part of that. Knowing how to go, where to go, how to keep safe. Because one of the things that we'll see is that, it, when we get, particularly when we get into the sociocultural groups, uh, people had their reputations, right? And not only were there reputations of areas like Galilee, uh, but there were reputations of particular cities. Because Galilee in particular hadn't always been some neat region with just Jewish people in it. There were plenty of cities within Galilee that were mostly Hellenist cities. And, and even cities to a large degree back in the first century were themselves pretty wealthy areas and or at least a middle class group of craftsmen, tradesmen, artisans, things like that. Whereas when you get into the rural areas, you've got more of a rich landowners, peasant, either indentured servants, which was becoming more of a common practice in the first century, or substance farmers, people who are just basically living to keep alive. Okay. Um, yeah, so the cities in, in the rural areas were somewhat akin to kind of what we see even in our own society now, where rural areas you had pretty much rich and poor, and cities you had at least a little bit more of a mix, particularly because the Roman Empire was a little bit more of a mix than just rich and poor. Um, so, make sense, kind of? Any other questions about the reading or uh anything that you're just on your mind relating to history or geography before i kind of go through this a little bit more orderly no okay great so spend some time just uh kind of going through this with you and again a little bit of an orderly fashion and at any point you want to stop and ask a question or say wait that doesn't make sense I'm certainly no expert on this. Uh, I am just someone who's spent maybe a little bit more time than you have kind of looking at it and researching it. And maybe there's certain things that you know more about from your own educational background or you took a class or whatever else. So please feel free to you know, insert that in. Um, or, you know, stop me if you think I'm making an error of some kind, you know, whatever. That's totally cool, okay? All right, so first I wanted to kind of think through this map with you. And particularly, I wanted to help you see it in a way that you could kind of constantly visualize, which means that, number one, you have your you know, sheet of paper. I've asked all of you to choose a map. Uh, your map of Palestine will be more important than your map of the Roman Empire, simply because, remember, we're going to do these first four weeks just on uh, Palestine, okay? And, of course, Palestine itself is a little tricky because, really, it's sort of a Greek name given to it and given to the area and... When we even think about Palestine in modern terms, we generally think about Muslims, right? Uh, whereas Israel 
would have been um, you know, a term that maybe many of us were more comfortable with. The problem is Israel stopped being used by the Roman Empire in that first century, particularly for political reasons. Uh, but even Jewish people themselves had a tough time defining what was Israel geographically. They had an idea of who was Israel in terms of well, whether you were Jewish or not. But certainly like the Roman Empire looked at Samaria as being a Jewish territory, while certainly no Jews had thought of Samaritans as being Jewish. They were like Jewish half-breeds, you know, which meant that they weren't Jewish at all. Um, not to mention the fact that southern uh, Israel, which we would think of as Judea or Jerusalem, had long been separated from their uh, you know, northern ancestors, and particularly Galilee. And remember, that happened back around 1000 BC, after uh, you know, Solomon's rule, the kingdom split. Remember that? There was a northern kingdom that was called Israel, and the southern kingdom, which was called Judea. The northern kingdom only had a few tribes, or, or had most of the tribes, sorry, and the southern kingdom uh, generally just had two of the tribes. And so back, back around 1000 BC, right before the first exile, um, the kingdom had split, and it split for political reasons. And then you see throughout the, the Old Testament history, you've got different kings of the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom generally makes up what we would consider as being Galilee. Uh, and the southern kingdom, Judea, Jerusalem, uh, you know, that area. Does that kind of make sense, just in terms of splitting it up? So if you were to go back and study the Old Testament, uh, you're going to see that the northern and southern kingdoms had their own prophets, okay? So one of the things, if you were to go back and study through the prophets, you would realize pretty quickly, who was this a prophet to? Was he a prophet to the northern kingdom, kind of the Galilean area, or the southern kingdom? And suffice it to say, the, the northern kingdom was the first exiled under the Assyrian Empire, okay, in 750 BC. And then the southern kingdom was exiled almost 150, 160 years later by the Babylonian Empire. Yeah? So even then, they were kind of under different empires. And, and their uh, social system and their religious system was really challenged underneath these, these different empires. And not to mention the fact that they themselves were sort of split up, okay? Almost a civil war, so to speak, within, uh, you know, Israel. And, of course, we don't have time to go back into all that history, but I'm just giving you a little bit of a, a sense of, you know, the five or six hundred year history before the time period we're talking about. So, you know, if you progress sort of from the exiles... Uh, the northern kingdom and southern kingdom were uh, taken on by multiple empires during this time, okay? And, um, and they just sort of went from one exile to another. Sometimes it was a good exile, sometimes it wasn't. Sometimes the northern and southern kingdom were more or less under the same empire. Sometimes they weren't. One thing, though, that you can definitely say is that the northern empire uh, not succumbed to, maybe, but was definitely controlled more by... Uh, Hellenistic influences, particularly close to that first century. And by Hellenistic influences, we mean like the Greek Empire, what's called the Seleucid uh, Empire, or the Seleucid, I can never really remember how to say that one. Seleucid. Seleucid, okay. Uh, empire and um, various other empires, the Persian Empire, <laughs> the Parthian Empire, which is really kind of like the second Persian Empire, all right? The Persian Empire was sort of the Arabic Empire, if you will, but but Arabic mixed with a lot of Hellenism because Arabic at the time wasn't really a thing, right? Until 
uh, five or six century. Yeah. Persian's most likely, um, mostly like modern day Iran. Iran, right, exactly, yeah. And uh, particularly that's the, the Parthian Empire. So you don't need to necessarily know all of that. Uh, although the uh, Seleucid period was kind of important, particularly for Galilee, because remember, uh, basically the Seleucid Empire was sort of the Syrian Empire, that northern empire that Denton falls into, right? Phoenicians there on the coast. So they, for a, uh, for a time, uh, had conquered that, that area. And then the Maccabees, at about 160 BCE, okay, um, had taken over the land from the Syrians, or the Seleucid, uh, Seleucid, just say it, Clayton. Seleucid. Thank you, Seleucid <laughs> Empire. Okay, taking it back. This was a, a great time, so to speak, for um, Israel because they, they kind of rejoined all of Israel. This is what Hanukkah celebrates, this, this revolt. And for about a hundred year period, really more like 80 years, uh, they were their own people. Now, Arguably, people were forced to become Jewish. Samaritans forced to become Jewish. Edomites in the south, Edomia. Uh, a lot of people were forced to become Jewish, including folks in Phoenicia and Syria and places like that. So whether it was a good empire or not is it's a whole other conversation, but we won't talk about it. But then it, right around about 60 BC, uh, the Roman Empire takes back uh, this area. And for a short period of time, the Parthian Empire kind of takes over. But if you think about it, the Parthian Empire and the Roman Empire were the main major empires at the time. Okay, and if you think about, so remember I said Rockwall and Wiley are kind of like Decapolis and Perea, which is that eastern edge that you would have to go around uh, to avoid Samaria. Well, think now about Decapolis and Perea as mostly being a part of or controlled by quasi. Uh, Roman and quasi-Parthian forces. So if you think about Parthian Empire as basically being all of eastern United States and northeastern United States on the, the right side, okay? And so Decapolis and Perea are just a tiny bit of that that are kind of constantly being fought for back and forth. The buffer zone. Buffer zone, there you go, great. And then the northern United States and western United States, including Phoenicia, which is where Denton is, as being controlled by Canada and, you know, Idaho and California, which would have been the, the Roman Empire at the time. So now think about that for a moment. Palestine is sandwiched between these giant empires. I mean, just massive empires. And at the tip, on either one of their edges, they have uh, those empires that are just at their doorstep. Okay. Not to mention the fact that, that Egypt was a Roman, you know, uh, area down southwest of them. So like Mexico. <laughs> I mean, they were on all sides of what constitutes a very, very small area controlled by all of these massive empires. And they were in no way in a dominant position. And so sometimes it's hard for us to kind of get into the world of first century Palestine simply because we're actually the Romans. In our day and age. We're in America. We're the dominant group now when it comes to this type of thinking. And so uh, the fact that there's even a book, a, a whole, uh, you know, four accounts of gospels of God coming down to this insignificant area. And not only insignificant in that they were Jewish, but insignificant that he didn't even spend most of his time in Judea. He spent most of it in Galilee. 
It's like he comes to Dallas-Fort Worth, and rather than going to Dallas, rather than going to Highland Park, rather than going to at least Plano Richardson, he's out in, like, Aubrey Pilot Point, hanging out with, uh, with John Padgham, you know? <laughs> Roaming the countryside with a bunch of what we would consider pretty light, conservative, rural country people that we, none of us really look at and think, oh, man, we really love them. They're just huge, you know, hugely important for Dallas-Fort Worth. Thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean, though? But that, that's the significance of this area and this, this time period, um, is this is a really small area, no bigger than the DFW Metroplex. Uh, and, uh, in fact, probably somewhat smaller. And yet they're surrounded on every side by these major world empires that at any moment could just come in and pretty much devastate uh, their way of life. You said the Romans on the uh, west and south? And north. and north. And south because they had controlled Egypt for some time. And who was on the east? East would be the Parthian Empire. Yeah. So Parthian Syria, or, um, sorry, Parthian and Persian, are you kind of using that interchangeably? Yeah, well, Persians didn't really exist at the time of, of the first century. Parthian Empire was more or less a Persian Empire that had taken on even more Hellenistic influence. Okay, but it's, Does that make sense? Yeah, so it's... Yeah. It's, I guess you say at that day, modern day Persia. Yeah. But the Persian Empire had kind of fallen. Right, yeah. Okay. Iran and Iraq, uh, you know, that whole, pretty much Iranian area, uh, and then all east. Again, we would think about it as Arabic, but that really wasn't, that whole area was not near as solidified as it was after uh, Islam. It became much more solidified after Islam. It was really just sort of like an area of a bunch of different people um, doing whatever the heck they wanted to do. Uh, yeah. The name change came from when Alexander the Great took all of that, right? Mm -hmm. And his men and his generals split it into four kingdoms. That's right? it. And one of the really important parts of this is anytime anybody conquered anything, they would just pretty much do with it what they wanted. <laughs> you'd have name changes, you'd have government changes. And that's one of the things that's really challenging about um, first century Palestine is because you, you know, so like for instance, the first 30 or 40 years, Judea was under direct rule by the Romans. But Galilee was more or less its own province and it had its, its what's called a native kingship under uh, Herod, who's talked about in, in Palestine. A native kingship was mostly just that you'd have some figure that was sympathetic to the Romans who would more or less get to kind of lead their land. So while Jerusalem wasn't in that, the Galileans, Galileans kind of had their own autonomy for a while until about midway through the first century in about 40, 36, 40 uh, AD, when the Romans decided, okay, these guys are getting a little too crazy. We need to have direct control over both Galilee and Jerusalem, and we're gonna bring them together. It would be kind of like um, Canada, uh, being directly in charge of the south, southern United States, but letting the northern United States more or less do what they want, kind of have their own governors, so to speak. And then all of a sudden, you know, you get used to that, and then Canada says, okay, now all of the U.S. is now under our control. The northern doesn't get to kind of do what they want anymore, okay? And that's where you get these tetrarchs or these governors like Pontius Pilate and Herod Antipas and Agrippa and all of these different characters or you know, officials that you see in, in the Gospels are more or less different kinds of leaders that have been placed uh, in their specific area. Some of them were under large areas, some of them under much smaller areas that were placed by, uh, you know, or approved by uh, Roman officials. Yeah? Kind of makes sense? Hey, Brad. You lost? Can we go back? Sure. To Anytime. We go back to uh, anything. The Maccabees and what, what made them before to become Jewish? 
Well, the Maccabees were a, a group of, there was a family basically that had revolted against Clayton. Mm-hmm. Oh, you were texting, oh, sorry. Sorry, Solicit. Solicit. Wait, say it again? Solicit. Solicit. Okay, there you go. Clayton's got to be my one who says that because I can't say it. I just, it's not, you know how words, sometimes words you just cannot say? Well, that is a word I cannot say. So some of you need to say, you need to kind of practice that word so that I don't always have to. Solicit. Solicit. There we go. It's like lucid, but then you add soul. So lucid. I don't know. Who knows? Let's not even get into that. Well, so the Seleucid Empire had 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 owned that area. Okay, had conquered that area, and the Maccabees decided to overtake it. Now, for the first thirty or forty years of the Seleucid um, reign over you know northern Galilee, uh, the Galileans and the Seleucid Empire more or less worked fine together. Mm-hmm. But it would. But one of the increasing uh, tendencies. And some of this has to do with, with the differences between how Hellenists thought about religion and how Jews thought about religion, which we'll get into you know, in March or April when we have you know, that second class. Hellenists would constantly see uh, areas that didn't uh, uh, do emperor worship or believe that the emperor was sort of godly as a real problem politically for them. And I remember at the time, there was really not a distinction between religion and politics like there is today. The, the, the whole idea of separation of church and state, yeah, it's really, well, it's not even new. It was just non-existent. Um, they were really kind of one and the same. And, and not that people weren't talking about it, but the people who were talking about it were philosophers. They were elite. This was the, the general population had no knowledge or no real sentiment towards separating politics and religion, okay? The state and religion, it was all one. So when the Seleucid Empire, um, it's like God's way of humbling me uh, in these these talks, um, (laughs) took over this area, after about 30, 40 years, they decided, well, you know, we really should probably have these Galileans at least you know, participate in a festival that, you know, recognizes that, you know, uh, our emperor, our, our ruler is really kind of godly and divine. Well, yeah, Leans as Jews, we're not, not going to have any of that. No matter how liberal they were or Hellenistic they were, that was just way too far. Okay. And so that's when it created this, this revolt, this Maccabean revolt, where they go in and take over and slaughter all of these, the Syrians, push them out. They even go as far east as taking over some of the Parthian empire and then try to reunite for a hundred years the northern and, and southern kingdom under one uh, Jewish rule. And that includes Samaritans, Idumeans in the south, the Edomites, things like that. Does that make sense? That was the Maccabee. And that's the whole Hanukkah thing is that, you know, celebrates this one pretty much sole period of a hundred years, you know, in about a thousand that the Jewish people had control over their own land. <laughs> Really, I mean, that, that, that's it. It's, it's, that was the last time and the first time in 780 years that the Jewish people had, had regained control, particularly of the temple, but of the surrounding areas, which was hugely significant, right? Because you think about that was the whole idea is that God was supposed to enable uh, you know, Jewish leaders to have their own land, to be in control of their land, to you know, worship Yahweh as their one and only king, and ever since Solomon, their last, you know, great leader that had united the kingdoms, they had really not had a united or uh, an autonomous, meaning they controlled it, kingdom. So that was so, what was so significant about the Maccabean 
uh, revolt, or at what they called the Hasmonean dynasty, which was about an 80, 90 year period. When yeah. was it when they destroyed the temple? Well, the t- temple got destroyed a lot, actually. Um, the, the but parents' so, temple, was that? Well, no. Uh, so the, the okay. main temple in Jerusalem, uh, which, yeah, of course, you know, Herod had kind of control over. And that's a whole other you know, thing that we may get into a little bit later on when we talk about politics. Maybe next week oh. or two weeks from now we will. But the temple was destroyed in the uh, uh, Babylonian uh, I can't actually remember if it was the Babylonian or Assyrian. I'm pretty sure it was the Babylonian because Assyria. Uh, what was thinking about yet? Assyria took the northern kingdom. Babylon took the the southern kingdom. So it was it was first destroyed during the Babylonian um, exile. Okay. Now a lot of people still were able to live in the land and do different things. Well, you remember the rebuilding of the temple in um, uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, all that good stuff. Maybe yes, no. Okay. Well, the temple was was. Uh, rebuilt or it was supposed to be rebuilt after the Babylonians allowed the, uh, the Jewish people to go back into Israel. Now, what was really interesting about the rebuilding of the temple was the Samaritans and Galileans, the northern kingdom, was against the Jews, or they were against the Jews rebuilding the temple in 4 or 5 BC. They were against it primarily because they didn't want this old system where Jerusalem was seen as sort of the seat of Israel's rule. They didn't like that old system. This is going to be a really important theme as we get into politics is just how much the Galileans did not like the Jewish elites and aristocracy. They were poor country farmers and peasants, some landowners, but they did not like the wealthy Jewish ruling classes. It's basically like uh, Pagems, John Pagems out in Pilot Point. You know, not wanting to mix and mingle with the Dallas elites. Okay? That's really what it is. But they don't want the temple rebuilt because that means that the, the, the focus is going to be, you know, put right back into the hands of uh, um, Judea. And certainly the Samaritans. Now, the Galileans maybe were a little bit more okay with it and sympathetic, but the Samaritans in particular didn't want the temple rebuilt. Primarily, and you, if you, this goes back to what Jesus says about uh, the different kinds of worship when he talks to the Samaritan woman. Someone go and look real quick at what's true worship. Uh, John 4. Read John 4 and watch what Jesus says. And this will illustrate the difference between what the Samaritans really wanted during this time and what the the Jews wanted during this rebuilding temple phase. Yeah? Was this like them not wanting the temple rebuilt? Was that like after the Babylonian? Or what are you talking about? After the Babylonian. Yep, not wanting the temple rebuilt. Where did we start, John 4? Uh, right where uh, you know, he responds, you worship, and then, yeah. Okay. Read it real loud for the audio. Where, where is it? John 4. Uh, 21. 21? Okay. Yeah. Believe me, woman, an hour is coming when you will worship the Father and either on this mountain or in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, because salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Yes, the Father wants such people to worship Him. God is spirit, and those who worship Him must worship in the spirit and truth. We pay a whole lot of attention to the spirit and truth, mostly because we have that kind of Greek, you know, uh, Roman Western background where, you know, we think about the spirit being separate from the body and all this stuff. We focus on the first part of this verse. What does he say? He basically says, you're not going to worship on this mountain. The Samaritans believed in a holy area. And, and um, 
on a mountain, and we can't really kind of get through some of the details. Although later on we talk about politics, we'll talk about this huge revolt that takes place uh, that that has to do with Samaritans going and worshiping on the mountain uh, of God. Okay, some of this comes back goes back to God originally giving the Ten Commandments and things like that. Whereas the Jewish people worship at the temple, and so Samaritans really didn't have the same kind of significance with the temple as the um, the the Jewish people did, right? But Jesus in this passage says you're not going to worship it either. Even though technically, yes, uh, God is going to be revealed through the Jews, he's in that passage basically saying, yeah, but the way that the Jewish people think about the center of their worship as being from the temple, that's going to change too. So he would have offended both Jews and Samaritans in that passage. And a lot of us read that as like, oh, he's reaffirming you know, Jewish control. No, not at all. That he would say somehow we could worship outside of the temple would have been pretty blasphemous for Jews to hear. Um, but anyway, the difference is that these groups had different places of worship, and primarily because Samaritan or Samaria was in the, between Galilee and Jerusalem, they weren't near as excited about the t- temple being rebuilt. Now, to your question, the temple was destroyed again for the second major time in uh, 66 or 64, I can't remember, AD, when Romans came in to um, uh, put down a huge revolt that had taken place in, uh, in Jerusalem. And, you know, that's kind of where our story is going to end in these four uh, classes, is the, the revolt and the ultimate Roman rule of, um, you know, this, this area. Because that's kind of where Mark's gospel is written. It's, his, it's really written in that period of time, that four or five year period of time of unrest, where a lot of Galileans are beginning to lose their land as Rome comes and basically does a, a scorching earth policy and starts just burning everything on their way down to Jerusalem mm-hmm. and where they're ultimately going to take over the temple and, and raise it. Yeah? Okay, this might be a little bit off topic, but did, wasn't the temple also destroyed during one of the Crusades? Uh, I don't know. I don't... Probably. I don't know. And one of the unfortunate things about today in our sermon series uh, and um, I think in this series is that we're, we're probably not going to get to modern or you know, uh, Christian history up from first century to today, as much as maybe we would like to. Like, it would probably be really interesting to talk about the Middle Ages and to talk about Enlightenment and to talk about Reformers and to talk about the Crusades. But I think that's probably way too much to bite off. <laughs> I was just curious. No, no, I think it was. We're going to have to, like, skip from first century to at least give kind of like an uh, uh, accurate depiction of what was going on and then try to modernize that and skip over this 2,000-year periods of, uh, period of Christian theology and history that is just as equally important in terms of our understanding. Because, you know, it, it would be weird to, to look at American slavery and, and think, well, why is it that these people didn't get all of this stuff that had happened? How could they go and re-enslave an entire people group and good, well-meaning, you know, Southern Christians could somehow approve of this barbaric practice? After 2,000 years of all we have, and the kind of example of how you know, important it was to free people from the bounds of slavery that Jesus gives, contrary to popular belief that he wasn't a political figure, um, how could they possibly have, have gone and, and done that? And in the Birmingham letter that many of you guys read a couple weeks back, that's really what MLK's message is, right? Is we're tired of hearing you say, slow down. That's not, <laughs> it's not time to slow down. Um, you're on the wrong side of this, this, this issue. And I implore you because I think you're, you're well-meaning uh, to get on the right side of the issue. And so, unfortunately, and that's going to be a good point to make in our series, we're really not going to be able to cover that 2,000 period of your history. I mean, think about how much we've 
we're talking about we're only talking about an 80 year period i mean it's going to be it would be really tough but that's why christian theology and christian history in particular are really interesting topics because you get to go through a lot of that and how christianity has played out over the couple last couple thousand years uh okay yeah so we, we tracking good yeah. kind of possibly some of you are like oh my gosh why did i choose to do this what was it? <laughs> it's too much too i can't yeah. do it the timeline is a little confusing okay yeah yeah and actually one of the things i really wanted to do that i didn't do and that's my fault is uh give you a timeline uh find you a good timeline and so i'll write one up or i'll find one that kind of covers the major things that we've talked about today and, uh, and hopefully that will help you kind of have a better sense, something you could just reference to see some of those major events. And I'll try to keep it like one page, you know, so it's not like one of those timelines that like, you know, you have to print out it's like 20 pages. We can hang just, the yeah, just the most important uh, events. Because uh, I know that's hard to, you know, to keep in your mind and, and to really pay attention to. Okay. Uh, but just to go back over it in the way of, uh, kind of review and then you know once you have the timeline i think it'll be really helpful you've got the the two exiles the two major exiles in between about 700 and 500 bc northern kingdom goes first to assyria the southern kingdom then goes to babylon you have the destruction of the temple uh, in the southern kingdom judea right after babylon and then northern kingdom and southern kingdom goes through multiple uh, empires that own basically have you know uh, um, kind of own them okay including the Seleucid Empire okay the Parthian Empire but then ultimately you fast forward through all of that and both more or less are uh, you know conquered under by, by about 200 BC are conquered under the Seleucid uh, Seleucid Empire. Oh, yeah. You want to spell it? I, spell it's about fifty percent. You know. You know. Uh, just to just to kind of make my case, when you read that word, okay, which what is what keeps popping up into my mind, it does not at all look like that. Okay, <laughs> so when you read it, if you haven't read it a lot, then maybe you know you have an advantage in trying to say it because I keep reading it and then it, like it's spelled out as I say it. <laughs> it is not at all like so lucid. Okay, so anyway, um, that's my pathetic defense. Yeah. So then. <laughs> It, after the, the empire has been conquered by that one empire, um, do I need to say it? No. There we go. Uh, the Hasmonean uh, dynasty begins after the Maccabees revolt, and from about 165 to about 65 BC, um, about 100 years, 80, 90, 100 years, I don't remember what the exact dates are, Jew, the uh, um, Jewish people are united under one, that's why we celebrate Hanukkah. And then the Roman Empire basically takes over from 60 AD until or BC till about you know till forever really, but but particularly until 60 AD, so about a hundred year period before they raise the temple again, second time, meaning they destroy the temple again. Uh, well, they didn't destroy it the first time; the Babylonians, you know, Babylonians did the first time, but it gets destroyed again. But this period between 60 BC and 60 AD is very very important because a lot happens in that hundred year period of, of, of Roman rule. Okay, and so that's kind of the history, you know, got it? And then I'll write you up a timeline so that you have a good, good sense of it. Cool, cool? Excited? Okay, good, timeline, and then I'll post it somewhere. Maybe I'll post it in, you know, you do your work of posting on the Facebook page, and then I'll do my work of responding in one of the comments of my, my timeline. 
Okay. So that way we're, we have a contract with each other. Okay. You do your work, I do my work. For those of you who missed out, basically we like, I'd like for one of you uh, to volunteer to post on uh, Facebook, on our Dent North page, and it could be something as simple as um, what we're about to talk about, the map. You know, I said, using the funny example, Arlington is Egypt, uh, according to Brad or something like that, or according to our Bible class, whatever. And then people can respond with what, they, what you guys have learned this morning. And remember, focus, try to focus on short stuff, stuff that could be really, really helpful for our church to read through and think through. This is a way that you guys can communicate to the larger church some of the really important things that we're learning about the background here. Just, I'm going to try to do uh, like this class and then the rest three classes in about 15 minutes this morning. So that'll be really exciting. Um, but so I'm covering a whole lot more of an abridged version even that we're doing here in our sermon series this morning. But it would be helpful if you guys can, can do that through our Facebook page and people can kind of go there. Plus, I'm going to keep giving you homework through the Facebook page. That way people who aren't in the class can still be doing the homework if they, they choose to along with the recording. Cool? Okay, so what you've long awaited for. Here is my DFW map of Palestine overlaid over DFW. Okay, you ready? So you're going to have to kind of think about this yourself. But uh, So Denton is Phoenicia. Denton is Phoenicia, which is a part of Syria. Okay. So Denton is, is Phoenicia, which is a part of Syria, which also happens to be what? The seat of the Seleucid Empire. Yeah. yeah. And just to confuse you even more, uh, the Old Testament talks about Canaanite people. Well, most of the Jews believe that the Syrians were the Canaanite people. It's people who did crazy, you know, religious sacrifices and had all kinds of problems. And by the way, they also thought that because Galilee was in such close proximity to, um, you know, Syria and Phoenicia, that the Galileans had begun to take on a lot of the, you know, weird Hellenist practices and Canaanite practices. And that's why one of the reasons that the Judea doesn't see Galilee very highly, kind of doesn't see them as uh, real Jews or traditional Jews. And there was quite a bit of animosity between the two. Um, Okay, so Denton is Phoenicia and or Syria. Okay, modern day Syria. But then also remember that's just after the Roman Empire took over. They took over the Seleucid Empire and more or less let the Seleucid Empire stay the same, at least in terms of Phoenicia and Syria. So really this is now the kind of the end of the Roman Empire as the empire stands. Not colonial territory, but more like the empire stands. So that, remember, we know the Roman Empire then takes up all of, like, north, all the way up to, like, Chicago, Canada, and all the way out west and up into, like, Vancouver, Seattle, down south to, like, you know, um, San Diego, that whole area. Okay, that's the Roman Empire. <laughs> this is pretty much all of the United States from Chicago down to, you know, uh, Denton and over. So we're, like, at the very, very fingertip of a body of the Roman Empire, all right, in Denton. Yeah? Cool? Yeah. And just to, just to give you kind of the outlying cities first, so then what that means is that Wiley and Rockwall, well, let's, let's, go, let's go back a little bit further. Terrell, Van, Texas, Van where we do Sky Ranch, right? Terrell, all that stuff. East Texas. East Texas area is the Parthian Empire, but that's just the tip of the Parthian Empire because the Parthian Empire extends all the way up to like Vermont and down to like uh, Miami. It's all of the eastern United States. Parthian Empire. Does that make sense? 
And Terrell and Van are just like the tip, the finger of the Parthian Empire. So where you do Sky Ranch, you know, when you move from you know, Denton to Sky Ranch, you go from the Roman Empire on the northwest all the way down to the Parthian Empire on the southeast, and that would like not happen in real life. <laughs> okay? Or at least not in first century Palestine, because those two powers were vying for all of the stuff in the DFW Metroplex. Huh. Okay? Uh, the Parthian Empire was the only threat to the Roman Empire uh, at the time. Only threat. Okay? So now you have... Oh, and then... Okay, so yes. But then you have Arlington and Fort Worth as the Roman colony of Egypt. Okay? So Roman occupied Egypt on the southwestern corner. Roman part of Egypt? Yeah. Well... Not the Roman part of Egypt, the Roman occupied Egypt. So it was the Egyptian empire which had been basically taken over by by Rome. Okay? And that's all like, you know, Southeast Texas and Mexico and all that. It's kind of like the Egyptian Roman empire down south. (laughs) So now what that leaves us is Arlington on our southwest, Rockwall and Wiley on our eastern edge. And, you know, Denton on our northwestern edge. And so all of the, the area between that would be considered first century Palestine. Okay? Cool? we got to end this thing. What is Rockwell and Wiley? Rockwell and Wiley are going to be Decapolis and Priya, which is, that's a weird area. Um, there's not a lot, a lot of focus on that in the New Testament. You know, kind of one of the few times it's mentioned is when Jesus doesn't, isn't allowed to go through Samaria and has to go around through Decapolis and Priya, which were kind of desert areas. Decapolis was a little nicer than Priya on the south. Priya was really like just a desert area. And Decapolis was, uh, was a, you know, a more or less Greek city, or Greek area, region, on the, on the eastern edge. Okay? So then Sanger, Aubrey, Salina, Prosper, Melissa, pretty much north of 380, and east of Denton, you've got Galilee. Farm area. Okay? Peasants. You got some rich landowners. Don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, there are plenty of people. You go to Prosper. Oh, my goodness. And places in Pilot Point and, and Aubrey and Sanger, there are a lot of rich people. But mostly people are pretty, you know, uh, I mean, you know, they're not actually farmers anymore. But that land is kind of farmland. Well, that's like Galilee. Galilee is the most beautiful area. It's the breadbasket of Palestine. Um, it's hills. It's, it's, it's really, really beautiful. Um, going back to a point earlier that you said, like yeah. with Decapolis, it definitely is Greek because that polis is like city state, like the Greeks would put at the end of like a lot of their city names. Yeah, it does, it does kind of sound like that, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, so that's a good way to remember it, sure. All right, so then Frisco, Louisville, McKinney, Allen is Samaria. This kind of middle ground between the farmers of the north, Galilee, and the city-dwelling folks of the south, the wealthy city-dwelling uh, folks of, of Judea. Okay? So Frisco, Louisville, McKinney, Allen is Samaria. And don't, don't, don't go too far into the cultural similarities. <laughs> Let me be very clear, you know, that uh, this is a very stretched metaphor simply for our ability to kind of like think through these different areas and their rough locations compared to other <laughs> locations, okay? So then you got Plano and Richardson as Judea. And I really should say Plano, Richardson, probably Dallas, or at least North Dallas as Judea. We'll say Plano, Richardson, North Dallas as uh, Judea, sort of like the capital of, 
of Palestine, of the Palestinian area. Wealthy, conservative, you know, um, but not farmers. Much more uh, city-dwelling kind of people. And then I put Garland and South Dallas as Edomea, which is Edom, the Edomites, which is the area just south of Judea. And, and the Edomites have their own history, and, and, and they're not mentioned just a ton in the New Testament, uh, kind of left out. But later on, I'll assign you guys one of these specific areas, and you'll come and tell us kind of as much as you can find about their religion, their culture, their interactions with other people around them, that kind of thing. That'll be our last class, okay? So those, uh, that's Idumea, uh, or, or Edomites, okay? Not to be confused with Idumea, which throws out the M, and that's what the, uh, you know, um, many of the Romans called this whole Jewish area, <laughs> Palestine. <laughs> so don't worry about that. Idumea, okay? And in any of your maps, you should be able to see Idumea right under uh, uh, Judea, right? Yeah? Cool? All right, well, we're, we're over time. Um, did you guys like the format of this okay? You know? Maybe more visual aids. Yeah, I know, the visual, yeah, I know, I know. Visual aids just require more work and I'm lazy (laughs) and, uh, so I'll try to have my, um, maybe I can get the projector next week and then maybe I can also uh, get that easel. So I'll try the easel and the projector and that'll give us some more visual. I think that could be really helpful. And remember, some of this, as we're going to use this to launch off of when we talk about these political conflicts and we talk about these social cultural groups. So having a sense of kind of where they are in, uh, in the history is, can be really, really helpful. Uh, so in terms of homework for next week, I kind of want you to do two things. Is I want you to do a little bit of research on uh, the major economic system in, um, in Palestine, okay? And this, this economic system is very different than the Roman uh, economic system, which is somewhat more like ours, which was based on a market exchange. Okay, this is not a market exchange system. Uh, Palestine, uh, and particularly Galilean uh, economy, was based on what's called kinship reciprocity, which is still very popular in uh, a lot of more uh, sort of less industrialized countries. So, kinship reciprocity. So, I want you to do some research on kinship reciprocity, and you can find pretty much any cultural. Uh, anthropologist kind of anthropology website that will tell you some things. There's kind of three major types. Um, the type where, you know, it's close people, you're giving gifts, and you don't really expect anything in return other than their continual loyalty. There's kind of a mixed one where it's like further out relatives, where you're like, you're watching to make sure that the score is more or less even, you know? And then there's like quid pro quo, which is I give you something, you immediately give me something back. Like there's no, you know, no, no loose uh, ties there. It's going to be a, a you know, th- to, uh, this for that, which is going to help, by the way, a lot when we read through some of these ideas of gift giving and debt in the New Testament. Their system is so, so different than ours that we, we lose an appreciation of, of what he was talking about when he talks about things like gifts and, and debt. And then there's one more aspect of this economic system, and that's called a central distribution. So a lot of the farmers in particular would have to pay tributes or tithes uh, a, lot of, a lot of times out of their um, farm you know, product, uh, production, and they would have to give it to some general storehouse. The, uh, Jerusalem had a storehouse, and then the Romans had a storehouse. And one of the things that sometimes we, we miss is the Romans were completely dependent upon Galilean farmers to produce their food for them. And so uh, this is going to be an important political aspect because the Romans, if they didn't have excess from the Galilean peasantry, they wouldn't eat. 
Uh, and it wasn't the artisans and the, and the tradesmen in the cities that were really doing the work. It was the farmers who were doing the work and often were exploited by not only the Jewish aristocracy in Jerusalem, but also by the Romans. So they were being exploited almost on every front. And you can kind of get a sense of why the Galileans are the first to really get pissed at this uh, social and economic arrangement. So central distribution, where there's basically a storehouse of everybody's excess. People aren't just eating what they, they eat. In fact, some people are giving up to 50% of what they make for either their reciprocity, because they owe certain things to family or extended family or locals, and then to the, the you know, tributary taxes of um, both you know, Jerusalem and of the Roman Empire. So you can think you're a poor farmer who can barely survive, and yet 50% of what you make goes to other places. And this can maybe start to suggest why it is that a lot of these people were not very happy with the system that they were in, because they were being exploited. Uh, so, kinship, reciprocity, which is kind of a weird word, two words, and central distribution. Two fundamental tenets, or uh, pieces, pillars, foundational pillars, of the economic system in Palestine. Cool. Spell reciprocity. Reciprocity. R E C I P R O C I T Y. Yeah, I can spell that fast, but I can't say solution. So. So like, what would I... A video uh, to hear what more? What we've talked about here? Yeah. I think the best thing to do is just to research any of the words that we've used. Or you can always type in first century Palestine uh, economics or politics and find a lot of really great sources. Okay. I think what a lot of people do is they, they focus on in, 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 in Israel, but that term isn't very helpful because Israel was, was more limited and more narrow than Palestine. Palestine was really what the the full area was at the time. So you could do a lot of first century Palestine economics, politics. Does that okay. kind of answer your question? Yeah. There's no one source unless you want to read an academic textbook, and then you probably don't. I don't know. Maybe you do. Maybe you love it. I can recommend plenty of academic textbooks on the issue. Just, just like, uh, yeah. And Wikipedia is pretty helpful, too, so long as you use it as a uh, secondary source to find primary sources. Yeah, you're hearing that from a professor. Wikipedia is okay. So long as you use them as secondary sources to find the original primary sources. Thanks for joining us for our sermon podcast. We would love for you to join us on Sunday morning or in one of our small groups during the week. And you can get more information about that at DentonNorthChurch.com.